0: Yo, what's up, everybody? Greatest show on dirt. You know the deal. We're recording from the uh, world-famous Sweet Bee Studios. Um, We are your favorite podcast, favorite podcast. This studio, it's world-famous because of the way it's built. It's got um, some of the best woodwork in the whole studio. If you walked in the place, you would think it was the office of Teddy Roosevelt. You know, the office just pretty much smells. uh, It's very woodsy. Uh, kind of smells like jet fuel. Like this is a man's office, and part of the reason why this is a man's office is you guys have heard me on the podcast talk about my buddy Fernie Mercado over at Chard Urban Woodworks. He's uh, he's the premier woodsman. You know what I mean. I've got this big 150 pound, seven foot desk in my office. Um, another table behind me that's got like a bunch of baseball cards on it, and also. He is a huge, huge, huge Boston Red Sox fan from Lowell, Mass. And I've got Fernie on the line. Fernie, what's going on, man?
1: What's going on, man? Glad to be here Dude, Richard.
0: let me ask you a question, dude. So what is better built, the Boston Red Sox or the wood
1: that you build? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You're going, you're going straight for the uh, for the Jags. Dude, Go, the it's hurry, a good man. question,
0: man, because the desk <laughs> I have in my office is very well built, dude. Like, this thing is very well built. But the Boston Red Sox, man, just finished what could very likely be the best season that they've ever had in the franchise. And this is a team that, Obviously, like, had Babe Ruth, like, back in 1910. Like, those were some pretty good teams. And I think this team won more of a percentage games than, like, any of those teams ever did. And when you look back at, like, the 4 curse breaker team or, like, the 7 team that, like, swept the Rockies, I believe, um, whoever, they, who, whoever they beat in <laughs> 2013 and then now, right? This is a 108-win team. Dude, they mowed through the Houston Astros – they mowed through the New York Yankees. They mowed through the Los Angeles Dodgers. I think this team in the postseason went like 11 and 3. Uh, that's pretty ridiculous, man. Yep. So, dude, um, how you doing over there, man? Did you enjoy the World Series?
1: I did, man. I did. I'm still kind of recouping from <laughs> yeah? celebrating yesterday. There's so, but, a lot uh, of beer, a lot of cigars,
0: good. man, the whole nine?
1: Uh, definitely, definitely. Some good beer, a good cigar, um, and it, it was a great time. Good time celebrating with, with some of my family that, you know, uh, also have lived and, uh, you know, I've, I've been raised in Massachusetts, so, you know, we've uh, we definitely had a good time.
0: Dude, it was like a very dominant victory, and the one thing that always stands out in my head is just, like, what this team did from, like, their non- top players like Steve Pierce was the MVP not Mookie Betts Chris Sale wasn't (laughs) the ace of the postseason David Price was oddly the ace of the postseason um and then like Nathan Avaldi, man like out of every out of every Boston actually out of everything that's happened in the postseason dude Nathan Avaldi's performance was like my favorite so let me ask you this man who was your favorite player this whole postseason
1: I think, um from, from my standpoint, it was definitely Pierce, um, and, and, uh, mainly because of the backstory, him growing up a, a Sox fan and, uh, kind of joining the team obviously in the middle of the season, um, and then him showing up so big, that was, you know, probably the biggest and, you know, my, my favorite part of the World Series right there. Um, you know, just just he he just came out of nowhere. I mean, it, literally, he even came out of nowhere. We we knew he was a, a power hitter, and you know, kind of you know showed up sometimes. But you know, to show up the way he did at the time he did, you know, obviously in the World Series and throughout the, the postseason, it was it was major. And I think you know that was that was the biggest deal, you know, in the World Series, man. That that Steve Pierce,
0: dude. And I think a lot of it, man, is. um Like, I'm completely sold on Alex Cora as being the best manager in all of baseball. And it's like, I think it shows in, like, David Price's postseason performances. Like, that's a guy that had, like, 11 postseason starts, hadn't won a one of them, had about a touchdown for an earned run average. But then Alex Cora, like, comes in this clubhouse, and I feel like he just calmed everybody down. Like, I know... Like, David Price last season had, like, a hell of a time with Boston media. And then when you throw in a guy like you had mentioned Steve Pierce, I mean, he's 35. He's played for every AL East team. And it's as if that, like, the—you know, Eduardo Nunez said it postgame. He said that Alex Corr made him believe— that he could do things that he didn't believe he could do. And I feel like that's what happened with Steve Pierce as well. I mean, he was a runaway MVP. He was a big bat. I think the second they signed him, he hit three home runs in Yankee Stadium in one game. Sure did. And, like, what's even better about this team is, and I read an article today that said something about, like, the Boston Red Sox being bullies because now, like, they've won, you know, four titles in 15 years. Um, if you go back for the last uh, 40 years, the Yankees have won five titles and the Red Sox have won four titles. But I was shocked to like read that article for someone to say that the Boston Red Sox were bullies because I think the complete opposite, man. And I'm not even a Boston Red Sox fan because when you look at guys like Pierce and Evaldi and even like David Price and Chris Sale, I don't look at any of those guys being bullies at all, man. Like, What's your feel with this team? like as compared to like previous teams right like you've obviously watched the 04 the 07 13 Sox like you're a huge Sox fan like in your eyes what does this team like how do they compare to previous teams in your eyes
1: well, man i almost want to say they don't compare because the the big you know obviously 04 was just special you know mm-hmm. for for uh, you know, reasons that, you know, we we were obviously down 03 to, uh, to the Yankees. And then we come back, uh, kick the curse in the butt and then, you know, end up winning the World Series, um, that year. So that was, that was just special. You know, obviously we've had the, the beard team. And then now this year, I think, um, man, I, I don't know that. I mean, they dominated all season from the beginning. Like you said, they just came in. Um, and just, they were just strong, helpless, as, you know, big, big factor. Also, we didn't have too many, um, injuries, maybe Pedroia was like the biggest one. And then, you know, some, some here and there, but nothing too crazy. Um, so man, I just think this, this team right here just dominated from day one. There was, there were no questions. They were pretty much all season. There were the favorites, um, uh, just top to bottom played good, solid baseball and, and, uh, Cora, like you said, I mean, Cora, Cora was just amazing first year. I mean, we've seen it before in Frankona, you know, and, and, um, Cora was just, just amazing, man. I, I can't even put words into like what he obviously did. I kind of, you know, I kind of compare him to, I'm not comparing the Red Sox to the Warriors, but I'm comparing Cora to like Steve Kerr for the Warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, ex player, he had success as a player, Um, with championships and such, um, you know, and and the way he kind of sits there and and manages the team is kind of Kerr esque in, in a lot of ways. I mean, he's, he's got their back. He's he's obviously like a player's coach or player's manager um, in that sense. So I think, I think that's big, man, in sports nowadays, just being, you know, with all the, um, you know, just, uh, I want to say like freedom that the players have nowadays, like they express themselves like never before and just, you know, the the way, um, I mean, managing any sport or coaching any sport nowadays is a whole lot different than, you know, way back in the day. So I just think this team, you know, from, from Cora's, you know, starting with Cora, it was just, uh, well built and, you know, he did a great job just, uh, being that player's manager and, you know, obviously having their facts. I mean, starting from Kimbrough in the beginning of the season when he had, and when his daughter had, uh, um, issues and had to have, you know, surgery surgeries and was battling for her life and he was just there telling her, Hey, telling him, Hey, you, you take as much time as you need. You know, and that obviously trickles down to all the players and knowing, hey, this, this guy's got our back. And um, you know, from from there, I mean, it was just obvious that this team was pretty special.
0: Dude, that's huge. I didn't even know about that Craig Kimbrell situation. Like that's how much Red Sox baseball like I don't watch. But I'm not even I,
1: I think either yeah, dude. I didn't either until literally the other, maybe about two weeks ago where I saw a, uh, just one of those like sports center specials that they do where you know. Oh, 10 yeah, minutes. yeah. And yeah, it was one of those. And he was, you know, he was just saying like, it, I can't remember exactly, you know, what his daughter was battling, but it was just something obviously, you know, her life was at risk. And he basically said like, you know, you, you're a professional. The key word there was you're a professional. And I know when you get back, you're going to be, you know, ready to fight. And that was like big time. When you think about it, you know, you're a professional ball player, you know, you've obviously been around, you know, you know what it takes to, to, you know, carry on a whole season and for for your manager to tell you, yeah, take as much time, you know, to to deal with your family. Obviously that's an important part of your life and to come back and, you know and and have the season he had i mean that's it was he he got me scared a few times there but you know we we won a world series so
0: yeah dude heart attack kimbrough man and like what was the impressive thing which is what i just thought of like when you were saying that was like not only did alex cora like say those things but alex cora acted on his words like in some of the biggest moments so obviously Kimbrel had a few hiccups in the postseason, man, to where, like, you probably needed, like, ibuprofen and a shot of vodka, right? But, like, Alex Cora, like, never strayed away from, like, I'm going to go back to my guy because that's Kimbrel because I know Kimbrel and Kimbrel knows me, man. And, like, I felt like the the way Cora has, like, managed it for sure, like – that what you just said about Cora saying, "Hey man, you're a professional. Do what you have to do," and I know you'll be here. And then when Kimbrell's back in the grind in the postseason, in these big moments, it's like Craig would give up a couple runs but get the save, and then two nights later, who's on the mound for the save? Craig Kimbrell, mm-hmm. because like, and that's I feel like what is so good with Cora, man, is because like you said, he's the player's coach and he puts his players like in a position to win and treats them. Like, not on what's happened in the past, but who he knows that they are and what they could do now. Because, like, when I look at David Price, he doesn't even look like the same guy, man. Like, his post-game interviews, his mound presence. Like, he's a a different pitcher, man. He's Right now, he's the $217 million guy that they signed. And so much of that, man, I feel like, has to do with Alex Cora. He's not one of those coaches that's going to, like say what he's supposed to say post game like when he's talking to the media he's talking to him like they're his friends i've always heard about him like taking players out to eat having one on one time with guys you know and when the when they um you know when alex cor took the job his one request was like hey bring some su- bring supplies to my island dude you know what i'm saying like he calls puerto rico oh, yeah. my island he's like bring stuff to my island and he even mentioned like you know Puerto Rico before anything had asked him about it, and um, you know was talking about how he wanted to take the trophy to my island and all of this stuff. And like in Cora, man, you get such a genuine guy, and it's like that genuineness. It's like no different than me and you having a job and having a boss. And usually, like, there's a weird divide between like the the managers and then like the normal people, right? So usually, when you've got a coach in the clubhouse. Um, to have, like, a healthy clubhouse with, like, a healthy, like, manager-player-upper-management relationship, like, that's extremely difficult, and Alex Cora is, like, the supreme guy at just getting that done, and I think Absolutely. it showed up in this 11-3 and postseason run to where they beat a Yankees team with one of the best bullpens you'll ever see, a still oh, yeah. historically great Houston Astros team. That's got, you know, like nine hitters that can bash home runs from... Like, Marwin Gonzalez bats like eight for the Houston Astros a lot of times. And the guy's like a 30 home run guy, man. Like, that's nothing to play with. That's officially an all-star team, dude. Um, And that's kind of what I looked at it, man. Like, I feel like I've never thought that managers really did much. You know, like Dave Roberts for the Dodgers. Dude, he's like a quarter of the manager, what Alex Cora is. He pretty much, like, takes orders from... The guys upstairs and does it, but Alex Cora is not that guy, man. And the stuff he did in the postseason, dude, like, um, like pitching Ivaldi and Price out of the bullpen, having those guys up and down, dude, that took some guts, man. Yeah, like he was aggressive.
1: Yeah, a, lot. a lot of guts.
0: Aggressive, man. But it wasn't like it wasn't reckless aggressive, dude. It was like. I feel like he could get away with and tell me what you think of this, but I feel like he could get away with that aggressiveness because of how he empowered his clubhouse. The one quote that Eduardo Nunez said post game is he made me feel that I could do things that I didn't think I could do. And I feel like he wasn't just being aggressive, but I feel like he was being aggressive and every single player trusted him because of who he is. You know what I mean?
1: Absolutely, and I completely agree with it. I mean, he obviously he had success as a player. I mean, he had success not just as a player, but with the Red Sox. Um, you know, he knows what it takes to play uh, Fenway Park, and you know what it is to play against you know that division, and you know among other things. And he just you know all of that, as well as his you know just humble approach to the game, and like you said, that aggressiveness just kind of all played a part. And you know, it was it was cool to see. The players, like you, could literally see through the TV that the players completely trusted every decision he made. You know, every and every, you know, when Joe Kelly came out and you know he just, you knew he was going to pitch a, a nice little, you know, gem of an inning just, just because all the players just trusted, you know, what what um, he had to say and and you know what decisions he made and it was just awesome to see that. You know, it's, it's funny, like I told you the other day, like I feel. Looking back at this 2018 postseason, I feel like it, we didn't go 11 and three. I felt like it was 11 and 10 oh, yeah. or whatever the, the math equals to. I just I felt like it was a whole lot closer, you know, looking back than, than it really was. And, you know, we we obviously dominated, but it really didn't feel like that just because of how many um, huge decisions you know he had to make. And I guess obviously as a fan that, that makes us nervous, you know, and, and, uh, you know, you see Kimbrel, you know, we're, we're, we're up three or, you know, or whatever situation, you know, there's there, whatever, which, whichever one of the numerous situations he was, you know, kind of, he kind of put himself in or was put into, you know, it was like Cora always had to make a tough situation, a tough decision, you know, with a tough situation. And it was just like, man, this guy, um, you know, had had me nervous with the decisions he made, and then, but it, it seemed to all like work out, and you know, it, it looked like you can tell that it was just trust, you know, in his players and his decisions. It was just, you know, just good to see, and know, like I said, it just felt like it wasn't as close as uh, as it really was. Eleven and three, it felt like it was, you know, just you know, down to the wire, Game 7, or or Game 5, Game 7, Game 7, in each one of the series, and it was just like, you know, not not what it came out to be, but.
0: Dude, hell no, man. If I look, if, like, you tell me that the, um... Red Sox beat the Astros four games to one, I'd be like, well, that's not right. Because I watched that series and they were grinding. And it's the same way with the Yankees. I was like, they didn't beat them three games to one. They didn't just beat the Dodgers four games to one. I was up till 3.30 a.m. Like that couldn't have happened, right? But dude, (laughs) it did. And, like, of course you're nervous as a fan because when you have starters in the bullpen, dude, usually that's never a good sign, man. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, shit, like, what's about to happen here? But it's like the crazy thing is, like, it didn't affect the guys in the bullpen, right? Like, from just, like, a pure human aspect, the relievers like Heath Henry, like Joe Kelly, like Craig Kimbrell, Like, you would think it might affect those guys and their performance, right? Like, if they were like, um, oh, like, he's got Sale and Evaldi in the bullpen. Like, that's my job, right? Like, you might be kind of in the dumps because you might feel like someone took your job. But I know when Chris Sale closed out the game last night, Kimbrel was nothing but excited, you know? And, like, Kelly... And, like, Ryan Brazier, like, those guys' performance, like, it didn't suffer because other guys were, like, infiltrating the bullpen because it wasn't like this, oh, I don't trust you, so I'm going to do this. Like, it was all by design, and I've never heard so many players post-game. Like, every post-game interview after they won the World Series, it's like if they were asked a question, the answer started with, well, AC, well, AC. You know what I mean? Because they're so in – On Alex Cora, dude, it is nuts. And, like, dude, I'm gonna ask you, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna ask you a question, but I'm gonna answer it first, right? Because, um, I, I wanna know, like, what you're like, the most meaningful thing you probably saw during this World Series, because, like, one of, like, mine, at least, like, one of the most defining moments I saw during this whole thing was Nathan Avaldi's like, six-inning bullpen session, right? So, in game three, right, the 18-inning game, he was supposed to start game four, which you obviously know, um, but, like, he didn't start game th- four because they needed him game three. So, the guy comes out, those six-plus innings, 97 pitches, 101 miles an hour, dude, and During that game, like, he was telling Cora, like, I'm going to pitch until we win. Like, don't take me out. And the next morning, he was telling guys he was ready to go. Like, after throwing six-plus innings of 97 pitches. And, dude, his performance is off the charts to me. Like, I think – and I tweeted this too, man. Like, I still think the most impressive pitching performance – might have been Walker Bueller's in the sense of like just get just like getting done what needed to be done because like what Walker Bueller did to shut down like a 108 win Red Sox team that no one's been able to do like to me that stands is pretty impressive because like the oh, Red yeah. Sox have so have such a powerful lineup as opposed to like what the Dodgers have but now that I think about it like of all these performance like, was just as good, but, like, in different ways. You know, it wasn't, like, the lineup he was facing having to, like, keep his team from getting swept, but it was, like, the fact that Nathan Avaldi in his head was, like, I'm starting tomorrow, and then all of a sudden at 11 p.m. the night before, he's warming up in the bullpen and has to start right now, and, like, I just can't get over, like, Like he's on the mound, like he's completely stoic. He's not phased by anything. I don't know if anybody, you know, outside of like Madison Bumgarner could do what he did in that situation. And it's completely impressive that he could just basically wake up throw six innings of 97 pitches, and then the next morning say, I'm ready to go if you need me. I feel strong. And he was even warming up in game five like he was ready to come in. And that to me, dude, was probably like I'm, for lack of a better term, dude, I'm in love with that performance, man. Like it, and I'm not a Red Sox fan, but I'm a Cubs fan, but like that thing meant like so much to just watch that. Like, I felt like it was an honor to watch this guy who's had two Tommy John surgeries, right? His health isn't guaranteed, right? He's not like Max Scherzer or like Jacob deGrom who can just like pitch and never get hurt. Like, he's had kind of like a fragile history. And for him to look at his teammates and just be like, I don't care what happens. Like, I'm going to pitch and we're going to win a World Series. That was nuts to me, man.
1: When I, I think, I think any sport is, and I think you've said this before in your podcast, is is more mental than it is anything else. Mm-hmm. Like you have to, you have to bring sure your A game physically, but if you're not with it mentally, if you're not there, you know, mentally, then you're kind of like you know, you're you're two steps behind. And I think is that to to answer your question, I think um, it was between that moment and I think that tops it for me also but just to bring in an, another moment that I thought was like really key is Chris sales weird self and typically quiet self coming in and or you being in that uh in that dugout and screaming like a freaking mania I mean I thought I thought he looked like DMX in there uh, you know in in the middle of a performance. I mean, Ugh. it was just like, uh, dude, this is who is this guy? You know what I mean? Who left this guy in the, in the dugout? And he's just screaming and pointing fingers. And, you know, from – I couldn't really read his lips, but I did read a, a couple curse words, you know, from what the yeah, players were yeah. saying. Um, he just hyped the team. I mean, they, they literally responded with a six – I believe it was a six-run seventh or eighth inning. I think it was the eighth, um, yeah, yeah. Eighth inning, it was the eighth inning. So I mean, it, it obviously tells you that um, you know just and like I said, any sport is is way more mental than than it is um, you know physical. I mean, it, there's a good balance, but just you know, you have to be mentally prepared. And for him to just go and you know hype his players up in that moment, and you know for them to respond in such a way in a, in a huge game, you know, prior to you know the, the Dodgers seem to you know have taken that momentum and they were like. You know, really, you know, flaunting it at that point. I mean, they, they had tweeted the night before. You know, after that 18-inning uh, game, damage, damage done, and and it was just like, all right, you know, it seemed like momentum was kind of switching. And for for them to have, you know, they had the lead late in the game, and Chris Dale just, you know, gave it to them, and they responded that way. That was that was huge because you know they, you know they they had his back, and you know obviously there wasn't much he was going to do at that moment in the dugout, but. Um, they responded well. So I, that, was, that was a big, big, big moment for me too um, that, that I absolutely enjoyed watching.
0: Dude, hey, Raphael Devers said he was scared. He's like, I've never heard Chris Sale talk like that or use those words. Dude, he reminded me of the dad on Christmas Story where the dogs come in and eat their food and he's like cussing at the neighbors because their dogs came in. But dude, you're 100% right. Yeah, dude. I was like, Bumbas like, he's just yelling at him, man. But, dude, you're 100% right because, um, I mean, that was game four when Chris Sale was yelling mm-hmm. at people. And I was for sure, and I even recorded it, that I thought that the Dodgers had the clear advantage in game four because in game three, um, Alex Cora used Nathan Evaldi, right? And so Ricky P started that game. Vivaldi closed out yep. that game, so like he had to go to uh, like Eduardo Rodriguez because he he didn't have any more starters, so that was his in season fifth starter. So I had recorded the next day and I talked about Walker Bueller start, and I was like, you know, the Red Sox or excuse me, the Dodgers have the advantage for Game Four because what I what here is what I genuinely thought, man. I said Alex Cora has played his most aggressive moves and. In a game where Alex Cora played his best moves, the Dodgers beat him. And I thought at that point, it was like Rocky getting a pretty good lick on Ivan Drago and being like, okay, they're bleeding. So, like, pounce on him, man. You know what I mean? It's like when Khabib oh, saw yeah. Connor McGregor and he almost fell down. And you were like, dude, he's in trouble. So, in that moment, it oh, was yeah. like, dude, like, the Dodgers, like, just socked the Red Sox and they're spinning a little bit, man. And so, I was like, dude, the Dodgers have the advantage. But I kid you not, man, from that moment, dude, when they had that big eighth inning and Chris Thale was in the dugout, the only thing I know he said was he was going on about Rich Hill only having two pitches. He's like, the guy's only got two freaking pitches. Like, we got to hit and make this thing happen. And then somebody drew a walk that bounced uh, Rich Hill, and the rest was history, man. And the guys they hit out of the bullpen, dude, they were no slouch, man. Like, this this Red Sox World Series isn't a product of like a weak National League team. They were hitting Kenley Jansen, who yeah. at one point, including parts of this season, in my eyes, was the most unhittable closer in all of baseball. Kimbrel included, man. His, his cutter, like his cutting fastball, is almost unhittable. Nobody in the world makes 93 miles an hour look like 100, like Kenley Jansen does. And Steve Pierce took him deep in game four, and then someone else took Kenley Jansen deep in game three, which sent it to extra innings. And for like that team to hit really good relievers, like Ryan Mattson throws 97 miles an hour. Um, I'm pretty sure they got to Pedro Baez a little bit, who's a real good reliever, oh, yeah. man. And that just goes back to just like, dude, how good these guys are. But the sale moment was huge, man. Um, And it's kind of like, it's crazy to think about how all of this worked out, man. And you couldn't have predicted it. You know, like all David Price has seen his whole time in Boston is, dude, you got Carpal Tunnel. You play Fortnite too much. Like we're stuck with you forever. Mm -hmm. Like this sucks. And then sale, (laughs) like is supposed to be that guy but, like, he's not himself during this whole playoffs, right? And it would be real easy for a guy to, like, curl up in a ball and kind of just get inward and not say much. But Jason Hayward did that with the Cubs in 2016. He really wasn't playing a lick. But he had that big speech during the rain delay, and, you know, things happen. And it's just that moment that you mentioned, man, just shows, like, what kind of leader Chris Sale is. And, I mean, it's just crazy how the way it worked out and how these guys could, like... Pick up players. Uh, like you had your midseason acquisition guys picking up, you know, like Mookie Betts before he hit his home run last night, I think was like 0 for 11 in the World Series. Um, he was, yeah. And it was just, it's crazy, dude, how David Price was able to do what he did. And, um, I'm impressed by yeah. the win, man. Like, if my wife listens to this, she's going to kill me because she's from Long Island. So I'm not going <laughs> to let her listen to this podcast at all. But, dude, it was impressive, man. Like, it was a good
1: World Series to watch, man. Um, it was. It was. And I, I think, uh, man, you know, looking at, looking at, you know, earlier I saw, like, some uh, power rankings for next year, next for next season. And, um, you know, they some have got it like, you know, in, in, like, fourth place and stuff. And I'm like, uh, you know, this team is, is so solid. And, you know, under Cora, you know, I, I can see them, you know, I don't want to go, you know, too ahead, but I can see them being really good for some time, not just, you know, having a, a, a great season like they did now and then kind of falling out like the uh, like the, uh, Mariners have done in their past. But, uh, you know, I think, I think uh, man, it's, it's just, it's just going to be special. And it, this definitely was, you know, one of my favorites. I was looking, at, I, was, I need to buy me a World Series hat or the, the championship hat. Um, I gotta, I gotta get me that for sure. But man, it was, it was definitely special. It's just going to be, it's going to be interesting going forward. All three agents that, you know, we got, um, I have, I, I saw a list. I was like, man, there's, there's some key guys with some options and stuff. And it's like, eh, well, but, um, man, I, I think, uh, I think we're solid. I think we'll be good.
0: I want them to sign Ivaldi so bad, man. Um, Uh, Yeah. Well, maybe I want him to come to Chicago and be a Cub. But, like, (laughs) dude, like, I want him to get paid so bad. Like, like he could have cost himself in this postseason millions of dollars, right? Because a guy that's got two Tommy Johns who throws really hard and threw really often in this – And I'm just beyond impressed by, like, what he did. Like, he shoved away, like, not a thought in his world, man. Where, like, I look at Evaldi and I'm like, dude, he's, you know, he's making about a 20th of what Manny Machado makes. Manny Machado can't even run up the line, right? Walker Bueller threw more pitches and went longer as a 24-year-old who just had Tommy John, like, a couple years ago. But then he's got a player on his team that can't even run to first base for him. But then you got, like, Nathan Ivaldi, who probably made, like, $4 million this year um, compared to, like, Manny Machado's, like, 18. And he's like, I'll just throw till my arm falls off. Like, I don't really care. Like, Tommy John's, like, doesn't mean crap or whatever. So, like, when I look at the Red Sox for next year, like, all I want in my life is a Red Sox-Cubs World Series, man. Right? Oh, both, great. both of Theo's babies. Like, obviously, this is. I think mm-hmm. the only guys on this team now that are Theo's guys. Like, he drafted Z- he signed Xander Bogarts and he drafted Mookie Betts. I think that's it, man. Um, I don't think there's anyone else. I think he signed Pablo Sandoval possibly, uh, but he's gone. So, like, they're just paying for him. I'm not too yeah. sure. But, dude, like, I'm telling you, man. I, th- yeah, I think Alex Gore is a difference maker. Like, I'll I'll do my best to like be objective, but. This Red Sox team does feel completely different only because they beat a Houston Astros team that they were the 2017 World Series champs and the Astros were better in 2018 than they were in 2017. The New York Yankees made the ALCS last year, but they were better this year than they were last year. And then the Los Angeles Dodgers, they're without a doubt unequivocally the best team the National League has to offer they've made obviously like back-to-back World Series they've made it to the NLCS I don't know the exact number but in within their six division titles they've made the NLCS probably at least four times like the team's loaded dude uh so that's why like I'll just look at what the Red Sox did and just say man they figure out a way to adapt dude it's almost like they're the New England Patriots right like next guy up like I always think of the season when like uh Tom Brady got hurt after the 16 and0 year and then Matt Castle comes in and goes 11 and five and like you know the Patriots get good players but you know they 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 live in a good system and yeah. I, I guess it's a system that just empowers players yeah. man they um you know the Red Sox essentially play baseball like they're in their backyard like there aren't 50,000 people watching them and that's huge man and I I don't, I don't know I don't know that another team does that dude. Um, I think A.J. Hinch is a good manager. Like, I like Joe Madden a lot. But Cora just seems like a dude, man. Like, he's just like, I'm just going to, like, be a coach like a player would be a coach. And that's it, man. It's completely wild, dude. So, I I look at the Red Sox yeah. as an obvious favorite for next year. I got the Cubs in the National League being a favorite only because, dude. So, here's my logic behind the Cubs, right? So, I compare, I'm always going to pair the compare the Cubs trajectory to the Red Sox trajectory, right? So they won in 04, didn't win for two years, and won in 07. And then Mm -hmm. when the Red Sox won in 2013, that 2013 World Series was wedged between two 90-loss seasons, right? Which is completely bonkers. And, Mm -hmm. like, people forget, like, how hard it is to, like, win at baseball. Like, like. Winning a World Series is like pitching a perfect game. Like, all the stars have to line up, dude. And uh, just something tells me that Alex Cora is going to be good year in and year out doing what he does. And then when I look at the Cubs in the National League, I'm like, dude, they made three National League Championship Series in a row. And then they've had like a year where they didn't make it past the wild card. So I'm like, I think they're kind of primed to kind of do the same thing, man. So if I can make an early season prediction for 2019, I'm going to pick a Red Sox Cubs world series. And hopefully this time next year, I can play it back,
1: dude. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There it is. And that, no, nothing greater than for you and I to, you know, catch a, a couple world series games with our, with our ball teams and talk baseball and, Maybe lose our our shit a couple of times, but dude, <laughs> yeah. hey man, you know that's what we should do?
0: Dude, next year we should plan a trip to like Fenway, man. A hundred. I, I've never been to Fenway, dude. And then like we could try to go to Wrigley or something, man. Have you ever been at Wrigley Field? Oh, I'm down. I haven't been to
1: Wrigley. I, I I've been to Chicago for like three hours, and that's about it. Oh, okay. I don't know. On a overnight layover, and and uh, ended up going to the city for a few hours and kind of checking it out. But that was like it. Um, oh, yeah. So I, I definitely, you know, Chicago's on the bucket list, and and so is Wrigley. So I'd be, you know, totally down for that. Sounds like a great idea, dude.
0: Because I'm telling you, man, like the best World Series. Like, if you were like, hey, man, what's the best World Series you could ever watch? It would be the Cubs and the Red Sox, dude. You've got the only two historic parks in all of baseball. Like, there's a certain Mm -hmm. amount of, like, like when you think of these teams playing in historic, like, ballparks. Like, when I look at the Cubs and their, like, World Series title or, like, when they lost in 2003. Like, these historic teams playing in these historic ballparks has, like, this ghostly, like, intimate, um, like, gut-wrenching, like, powerful feel to it to where, like, it almost feels like Field of Dreams is like a real movie, man, where, like, when you're playing, when you're watching baseball teams play in these old parks, it's like the ghosts of the old teams are still there because you're watching these teams play at Fenway or Wrigley and you're like, dude, Babe Ruth called his shot at Wrigley Field, or like Ted Williams yeah. played at Fen- Fenway. You know what I mean? Like and like Yeah. Those ballparks do tell the best stories, man. Like when somebody bounces a ball off the Green Monster, dude, on your TV you can hear it go pop. <laughs> and you're like, dude, oh, yeah. like that's nuts, man. It's crazy. Yeah.
1: Nowhere else. Dude, I love. Nowhere loved, else. And, <laughs> It's nuts, it's, uh, man. I was just going to mention be, behind the uh behind uh the uh, Green Monster uh where, you know, the guys the numbers um, you know, you got all those signatures in there. Like I would, I would, I would want nothing more than to go to Fenway park and go inside that tunnel and just check out some of those names for, you know, give me 30 minutes in there and I'll, you know, put, give me a price. I'll do it. Cause that, that would be so awesome. I mean, um, just, just the difference. Um, you know, characters in in that ballpark. I mean, the smell, it, it literally smells different. I've been to a few ballparks and that one just, you know, it's, it's, it's wild. I mean, I literally, obviously, I'm a Sox fan, but the first time I went to Fenway, I was about 27 years old, uh, maybe 28 years old. And man, I tell you what, I got off the train. Um, obviously, I was stoked and, um, it was a regular season game and I, you know, I turned a corner. And I, the first view I got about the ballpark, you know, I was just like stunned. I almost like had to sit down for a second. My ears rose and it was, it was weird. It was like a surreal feeling. And like you said, man, all the, all the history, when you think about it, just sitting at that ballpark and, you know, you're, you're talking, like you said, Babe Ruth, you know, throwing 14, a complete 14 inning game, you know, with like some, somewhere like 200 pitches, you know, and, and the victory, they they win like two to one and you're like, who pitches for 14 innings, and, you know, it, it ends up being a 2-1 game. I mean, obviously, back in the day, the game was completely different. But just the fact that it was a 2-1 game, and you just pitch 14 innings of almost shutout baseball is completely, you know, insane to me. But, you know, you hear those stories, and, you know, you're sitting at that ballpark. You're like, you start thinking about it, man, and, and it's, it's pretty sweet. So, it's awesome. It'd be, it'd be nice, uh, a Wrigley and Fenway World Series.
0: Dude, it would be so sick. Like, I would buy tickets for it. Like, I think I would for sure try to sell a kidney, man. Like, I would be like, uh, 10 10 grand for a kidney? Oh, you'll give me two grand? Can you give me four? Because that's how much the ticket is. Like, I would sell my kidney for $4,000 because I'm pretty sure we have two of them, dude. And I wouldn't even flinch, man. I'd be like, yep, take it, cut her out, dude. Don't care. Um, Dude, I would love to go to Fenway, man. Like, dude, it's like to think, man, like that's the dirt. That, like, Babe Ruth oh, pitched yeah. a 14-inning game on. And, like, what's even crazier, dude, is, like, I have this huge, like, I love cursed baseball teams, man. Like, there's a Cubs documentary called Catching Hell, which was made, like, in 2004 after, like, the Bartman game. And it's almost like to watch, like, all that historic, like, crap about the Cubs not winning for 100-plus years. Like, In a sense, like, that should, like, break my heart, right? Like, being a Cubs fan, like, my grandpa died before the Cubs won their World Series. Like, that should hurt, right, for me to go back and, like, watch all the bad things that happened to the Cubs, but it doesn't, man. Like, I'm attracted to, like, all the non-winning, and I imagine it's like that with you, like, you know, like, the first time you went, with, went to, like, Fenway or whatever, it's like you have this team that doesn't win for, like, 85 years because of the curse of the Bambino. But somehow, like, immersing yourself, like, in that curse culture, dude, even after they've won the World Series, man, like, it feels good, right?
1: Oh, man. So, I, after the 04, um, there was a book that came out. Uh, it's, it's called Now I Can Die in Peace. And uh, I, I read it a couple times. It's it's by uh, Bill Simmons. Um, he's a... You know, oh, was, you yeah, know, yeah, dude. It.
0: He's a diehard Boston guy, man.
1: Uh, yeah. So, so, you know, I, I bought that book and it basically like covers, you know, a bunch of like stories on, you know, not just, you know, baseball, but like fans, you know, just, just guys that I like, uh, you know, there was like one guy in his deathbed and, you know, he, he basically was given like hours to live and he ended up, you know, watching. Um, the you know the world the entire World Series and watch it watch us win it you know and and died shortly after and you hear stories like that it's like man it's 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 wild like it gives you a whole another perspective on a curse and then you obviously you start hearing you know the the, uh, the like the the Ian Kinsler error um, mm-hmm. on in the thirteenth I think it was the thirteenth inning I think, was. Wow, dude I was like um, all that all that stuff even though we're not in a curse right now I started thinking about you know, all the different possibilities. Oh crap. We can't, you know, get back from, you know, this is going to be like the new one. And, you know, it's like, it's still, it's still embedded, you know, in me. And I'm sure you got, you know, some, some moments that you could probably be like, Oh crap. But you know, it's just it's weird. It definitely is weird. And I, I really don't, I really don't believe in in the curse, man, but you're almost forced to when you, when you read, you know, the different stories and you're like, "How, how did this all come about? Like, there's gotta be something to it. But,
0: Dude, I,
1: I, dude like, I can totally relate
0: to that. So anytime the Cubs are in a playoff game and the eighth inning rolls around, it's like I'm standing in front of a mirror and I'm about to say, like, Candyman, Candyman, Candyman. And the monster's <laughs> about to come out and, like, slash me up. Because it was in 03, it was that eighth inning where, like, Mark Pryor imploded, Bartman interfered, and, like, all this bad stuff happens, dude. And, like, so what happened in that 03... Uh, that was a game six. Um, dude, Mark Pryor, best pitcher in baseball, man. He's cruising into the eighth inning, pitching like a two-hitter. Um, and then the weirdest things happened during that inning, man. Like, they started to hit Pryor. Um, the Cubs had a shortstop that year. I think his name was, like, Alex Gonzalez. Dude, completely sure-handed, phenomenal defensive, like, shortstop. And he just boots, like, the easiest ground ball that you could get. Yeah. And then Moise Alou, like with one out, doesn't catch the ball that Bartman like reaches over and grabs and throws like a complete temper tantrum. Right. And you're kind of, and then that like literally sucked all of like the energy out of Wrigley field. And then when Bernie Mac, he's saying like the seventh inning stretch and he was like root, root for the champs, right? Like he messed up the words And everyone, including myself, like I was watching at home and I was like, wait, what? Like, you can't do that, man. And like, I heard that happened in the 86 World Series with the Boston Red Sox, right? When they lost to the Mets. I think it was in 86, right? And I had heard, um, I think they mentioned it in that ESPN Catching Hell documentary. And it talks about like how like Bob Costas was like in the... uh, like, in the locker room, they had they were, like, covering up all, like, their clothes and their camera equipment because they were getting ready to pop oh, champagne yeah. because the Red Sox were about to yes win. Sir. And someone had mentioned during that game, like, in between innings, it flashed on the scoreboard, 1986 champions, Boston Red Sox, like, before they had actually won. And then, like, the Buckner thing happens, everything, the wheels fall apart. And I kid you not, man, what happened to the Cubs in 03 was like the exact same thing that happened to the Boston Red Sox, man. Like Bill Buckner's glove, he said it. He was like, so I always like to play with my glove loose. And Bill Buckner's like momentum towards the first baseline, his glove just moved and the ball just went right by. Like his glove was where it needed to be, but the flap just shut. It was like Mookie Betts. When his flap shut, when the fan interfered with it, like if that call, without a if if that call was called like a home run, dude, I would have been like curse-engaged. like dude, like no, yeah, no, no, yeah. no, no. <laughs> It'd have been so bad. But that that stuff is just so <laughs> fun to get into, man. Like all that historic stuff about like oh, like this happened to that happen, like the Cubs, the um, what did they do, man? There was like a um, the game ball or something that I think Steve Bartman like interfered with. Um, I feel like they cooked that baseball and, like, boiled it and used it to make, like, spaghetti, and then they ate it. Really weird stuff, man. The Cubs even had, yeah. like, a priest come in and bless the stadium with holy water <laughs> because they were so serious about the curse, man. It was the real deal, dude. That's um, awesome. No shoot, we might wrap this thing up, man. We're at 45 minutes, dude. We'll have to do this again. I think for sure, man. This is the first time, dude. Thanks for taking the time, dude, to be on the podcast, man. You just got back from a vacation, dude. Happy birthday, man.
1: Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it. It was an honor to be here, man.
0: Yeah, you're like 55 now, right? That's a pretty big deal, dude. Pretty old guy, man. I'm getting close. How do your knees feel, dude? Do you ache and you have aches and pains all the time now?
1: You know what, man? (laughs) They, they, they ache, but not enough to be in, the, uh, in my, in my uh, famous friend's podcast. Dude, that's so, what's up.
0: You know what um, gets me, man? I got you by a year, dude, because I just turned 35. And it's cold all of a sudden here in Charlotte, man. Like, it's freezing cold. And the one thing I can't deal with as I get older is the cold weather, man. And then I don't oh, want to. It
1: hurts, man. Try, try going to Florida. And, and then and, come back you to know, this. And the same day. Yeah, and then you're, you're in, like, 80-degree, you know, weather at night. And then you come here and it's like, you know, your, are high is like 67 and you're like, uh, come on, man. This like, isn't going to work. As soon as I got here, I, I literally got here like what, two hours ago. And it was like, you know, what is it? Like 40s. And I'm like, come on. I was just in 80 degree weather. And you know, it was it was uh, a lot of fun. And now you know, you got to come deal with this stuff. But yeah, I I completely agree, man.
0: Dude, Charlotte weather was like it just flipped the switch. Like it was like ninety five and humid. Like the second week of September, mm-hmm. the remnants of Hurricane Michael came through, and then it just stayed cold. And I'm like, what's happening, man?
1: But yeah, I saw a meme that said uh, Charlotte, um, and then quotation marks. Uh, fall when are you coming and then fall says um i'm I'm right around the corner and i'm coming with winter if you don't mind
0: yeah yeah (laughs)
1: i'll tell you there's a lot of truth to that because it was it went straight from summer you know humid you know cutting grass every five days to like you know straight you know freaking chill you know i gotta take i gotta buy a bunch i gotta stock up on, on some like hot chocolate you know and stuff like that it just it was weird man this hopefully it doesn't you know trend this way for a while
0: dude but you know what i tried to do the other day man i tried to leverage my old age and buy a pair of velcro shoes Because, like, it's so cold in the morning, and there's, like, a lot of dew on the ground. So, like, my good runners, dude, if they get wet, like, they smell funny. So, I was like, I just want a pair of shoes that I don't have to tie. So, I'm in Walmart, and I got a pair of, like, old man Velcro shoes in my hand. Like, they look like a pillow (laughs) on your feet, dude. They look so fat. They look like the most comfortable (laughs) shoe in the world. Dude, I put them on, and I Velcro them, and I felt like I had arrived. I was like, dude, this is the pinnacle of my existence. Like, I'm here, man. 35 is the new 7. Like bring it on, and
1: she's like, "You're not gonna, getting those
0: shoes, man. I didn't buy them, but I want to go back and get them."
1: Oh man, yeah. If, if you get them, I'm gonna get you some nice yeah. flat socks to go with them, dude. Too. You
0: should because you got to have a warm sock, man. Like, dude, because Absolutely. at this point, man, like we're old, we're we're mature. Like, I think our significant others they look to us for guidance in their lives, and the best thing we can do is take care of ourselves. And, um, I think that entails a good pair of shoes, man. So <laughs> absolutely.
1: Dude, they're going to, they're
0: going to kill us if they hear what I just said, actually. So that was a <laughs> Yeah, <but. laughs>
1: absolutely like, I'm just kidding, babe. No, you know, but yeah, my girl, Kayla, Kayla, tells me all the time. She's like, um, yeah, you have the most horrible taste in shoes. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. these look nice. Like these are, these are absolutely trending. Like I want to see, I've seen these in like hype beast, you know, um, or something, you know, like you start thinking yeah these are the shoes for you and then they just have that look and they look at you like yeah you're definitely turning into an old man i'm like dang man i thought i had them (laughs) you know but what can we say
0: Nah, nothing man nothing man well we'll um dude we should record again in like a few days or something man um let me know we'll figure that out but we'll close it out uh this is greatest show on dirt uh freddy mercado on the line he uh built everything in the office Chard urban woodworks that's out of charlotte north carolina find him on instagram at chard.nc. also got an etsy store you can search Chard. that's c-h-a-r-d urban woodworks man and get your goods on dude there's uh my whole house is outfitted dude like i said i got a big 150 pound desk seven feet by about two and a half feet deep i've got like three tables all throughout my house i got a big o uh dinner table that i just stuff my face at all the time um so check them out but Fernie, <laughs> thanks for being on the show man don't hang up i'm just gonna like hit like unrecord on this thing and uh that's okay. it guys take care